So we're talking about all things Aphrodite tonight, and we're actually going to start with a quick quiz. Okay, are, you, are your hands on your buzzers? <laughs> uh, that, and by the way, Jono, that's a figure of speech. You don't literally have to do that. I'm wearing a dressing gown, thank you very much. That's very graphic, thank you for the description. It's more than he wore in the previous podcast. For those who don't know what we're talking about, go back, have a listen. Oh. In the timeline of Kylie Minogue albums, what number album is Aphrodite for Miss Minogue? Eleven. Eleven. Very nice. Was Eleven. that Aiden? <laughs> that was me. No. What special position was created for Aphrodite, one that had never been used previously on any Kylie album? Jono, um, doggy style? No, sorry. Um, um, what do you I don't mean? Know what position. Oh dear. Here we go. Are we striking out? I don't on even know that? what that means. Okay. Uh, yeah, I know. It's in the question. To be honest, the problem is in the question. It's executive producer. She'd never had an executive producer for any Kylie album before this one. So my next really? question. No, she'd never had. Uh, the the follow up question to that is who filled that position in this instance? Callum. Callum. Oh, what's his bloody name? Oh, I know it. Um, oh, he'll be very um, unhappy. I, tip my tongue. He's quite famous in his own right. Oh, do, uh, Poor old guy. Uh, oh, dear. Uh, no, can't do it. Poor no, I know his name. William Baker? Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely wasn't William Baker. Stuart Price. Uh, uh, he was the ex- executive oh, producer it. of this. Uh, Absolutely. And... Confessions on a dance floor as well. And I was like, it's the same guy. <sighs> well done, Callum, because you've just answered the next question. What did he... He also toured with her on the Confessions tour. Uh, final question. Really? And this is a tricky one. How many fans signed a petition as part of a campaign for Go Hard or Go Home to be released as a single? I was one of them, but I don't know. The answer is actually <laughs> none, because it's possibly the worst piece of filth Kylie's ever etched into a recording. So the answer there was a trick question, is zero. I, I love it, sorry. So okay. Aphrodite was released in 2010. It was a safe return to form for our Kylie, probably as close to pure pop as she'd been probably since light years. In ancient Greek mythology, the story of Aphrodite is not as pure as this album would suggest. Aphrodite was actually born from the white foam, as they call it, which spewed from the severed genitals of the god Uranus. Okay, oh. so just just let that sink in for a second. Now you're probably asking. Well, Aphrodite came out of Uranus. Pretty much. Oh, okay. That's... And you might be asking why did why did that lovely god have his genitals severed? Well, of course it was his son Cronus. Uh, he was a little bit po'd with his dad, and so he cut off his dad's genitals and he threw them into the sea. That you know violent gesture gave birth to Aphrodite. Alright, are you following so far? I know it's complicated, but I'm sure Aphrodite was a mighty fine girl in her lifetime, but to suggest that she was pure, as Kylie sort of does, it's not quite accurate. She had many, 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 many lovers in her time, including the very young and equally famous, you might have heard of this guy, Adonis, and he was underage at the time. Now, she was also known to be the goddess of love and fertility, but I'm figuring that was a polite way of saying that Aphrodite was just a little... A little slutty, actually. She bore many, <laughs> many, many children. She was also known as the patron of prostitutes as well. See, there's a little history right. le- lesson for us all. You didn't think that this podcast was going to go in that direction, did you? No. Aiden's, uh-huh. Aiden's just dumbstruck. 
Mm. I didn't. I I tried to take a philosophy course and about all this stuff <laughs> once. And, yeah, that didn't. Wasn't work interesting, out. <laughs> right? So you could have learned about severed penises and the birth of Aphrodite and her slutty ways if you'd taken that course. Sounds like a hoot. Aiden, let's go back to Stuart Price. We've got to, we've got to talk about him. He was the executive producer of Aphrodite. In your opinion, did he? bring cohesion to this album or did he just homogenize the whole project sanitize it to the point where it lost all its soul i i think he brought a lot of cohesion to the album and i, I actually think this is her most co cohesive album that she's ever done i heard criticism before that's a little bit overproduced a little bit too squeaky clean but i i like it it's it's worked its way up to a respectable place in my ranking of albums so i think he did a good job and jono and callum she just can't win can she because uh, on one hand with x people were saying it's not cohesive enough especially the fans you know it's a mess yeah. it's all <laughs> over the place and then she brings back as aiden says probably the most cohesive album since her pwl days and then people are saying oh it's a bit homogenized oh, it's a bit samey it's a bit samey yeah I, I don't think that's a very fair criticism i mean i think I think it's one of her best albums, if not her best album, in my opinion. So I think, I don't know, and I, I think it just really suited the music at the time. I really think they were all really good tracks, in my opinion. Kylie yeah. and Stuart Price had originally the idea to merge all the tracks into one continuous album. I don't know if that would have worked. They obviously decided it wouldn't have worked because they went against that idea. It was going to be similar to Confessions on a Dance Floor. Well, I've actually heard that done... I haven't heard Confessions, but I've heard that done very well with Janelle's Monet album, um, The Ark Android, and it is so good. I think she... Sh and I, you know what? When you said that, I was like... <gasps> I was literally going to suggest that she do that in this podcast because I have all these notes like in front of me. Um, but why didn't she do that? That would have made the album better. I think it would have been a cool idea. I think Confessions on a dance floor, like when you listen to it and it's all completely um, mixed into one to one another, it really is kind of like a, a a story almost. I think it would have been a cool idea that, but I think it would have gotten criticism for copying Madonna as well, to be honest. What do we make of the album cover? Because I remember this was released, or uh, not released, but like leaked onto the net before the album was actually released. And we have to give some credit, unless you disagree with me, but if I consider it stunning, I have to attribute that to William Baker because he actually shot this cover. I think it looks really beautiful. I think, I think the Aphrodite shoot as a whole is a little bit overrated. I don't know the the cover the cover is great um it's very much uh the stance she's going for the consistency with the with the whole theme of aphrodite definitely but uh to me it's kind of missing a little something jean-paul gaultier dress apparently not that i'm a big fashion guru but that flowing blue uh, dress that she's wearing with metallic belt and and was created by a world-class designer i agree with you though aiden the rest of the photo shoot for this is yeah it's it's too contrived uh too obvious too cliched they clearly mm. wanted to go with that greek mythology theme i love the cover but the rest of somehow the cover seems to avoid what the rest of the shots do which is i can see like the styrofoam props and and yeah the, the, how fake everything sort of is and it, it's funny with that like on the cover in the background it's supposed to be like um one of you see in those pictures of greece um, the buildings and everything i, I think mm. it's supposed to represent that mm. and you just kind of chuckle and it's just like it looks you know, like something a giant ipad would have arrived in at your house <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. Big piece of styrofoam yeah. packaging, just sort of put vertically up. I think it was it was important for us to make a record that sounded like it was a moment in time. It came from the same place, from the same voice, from the same heart, and I think doing same it all in one. Capsule. Yeah, this mm. was the time capsule. Yeah. Having it all in one spot just I think gave it this sort of cohesive sound that we wanted to do from the start. Well, for me, this was a first to, to have an executive producer. Where's your... Are oh, you missing your little... <laughs> yeah, my badge. <laughs> I am. <laughs> executive producer. So it was just... Um, just the best experience. Um, and funnily enough, I think it's probably the most cohesive album I've had since the beginning of my career back at PWL days where that just, you know, by its very nature made it cohesive. And there's a lot to be said for working with different producers and, um, you know, going around and trying different stuff. And, and that's worked really well for me in the past, but I definitely, definitely um, wanted someone to tie this together as Stuart's done so beautifully. Um, so that it existed really as, as a body of work. We're about to talk about All the Lovers, the lead, singer off it, the lead single off this album. But before we do, let's really briefly go through the commercial success of this album, because it was a commercial success. In the UK, it knocked Eminem off the top of the charts when it was released, went to number one in, oh, the, good. in the UK. Yeah, yeah, she was quite proud of that. <laughs> That's a gay icon right there, ladies, knocking Eminem off. Yeah, a lot of people have wanted to knock Eminem off. She became the female artist with the most consecutive decades with top five albums in the UK. But she also became the first solo artist of any gender to have a number one album in four different decades in the in the United Kingdom. That is again, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2000s and 10s. Wow. Pretty cool, right? Awesome. Yeah. So not even Madonna, mm. not even Cher, not even Dolly Parton. None of them uh, have done that. But Kylie has. And again, like I said, that's I really cool, actually. It is. That's cool. what Madonna would have. Yeah, yeah. Pretty cool fact, but I still don't know how I feel about it. It sort of definitely gives away how long she's been around for. All the Lovers, Aiden, how did that do? It was a remarkable return to form when this was released. It's it's one of her, I think it's one of her biggest global hits in terms of where it peaked and how much it sold. Um, one of the most interesting things is that it made its way to number three in, in the UK, um, but it's actually outsold every single one of her number twos in the uk wow individually not as a whole in terms of sales it's a bigger hit than the likes of uh, wouldn't change a thing um what a love at first sight or all, all those iconic number twos it's like wow official charts company in the uk regards it as the the one that really got away for her um because i guess just you know something else was just blocking it from getting to that number one spot mm. and it's outsold i think three of her three of her number ones as well Jono and Callum, uh, All the Lovers, for me, the first time I remember hearing that was that middle instrumental section, because she released that as a teaser. I listened to it many times. I think my mum did as well, because she's an even bigger fan than I am. But um, I just remember hearing it, and I remember really hating it. I was like, this sounds so weird. Like, it just sounded like some really strange production. But then when the song came out and I heard it in the context, I was like, oh, yes. nice. But yeah, I remember like, hearing it, I, just, I don't know, around my house or something. And I was like, this is really weird. I don't know, it really threw me off originally, initially. 
And shout but out in the to Callum's mum too. It. She deserves a big shout out. Yay. <laughs> Go Callum's mum for introducing Callum to Kylie. I assume that's what happened. Yes, yeah, she did. Because how old I are you, Callum? You're another young Kylie fan. Yeah, I'm 21 and I, I'm pretty sure that like in, my, in, in the room where I was born, like Impossible Princess was playing, I'm pretty sure. Oh. Like I'd be very surprised if it wasn't. <laughs> I tell you it's what, that album on. is enough to induce labour. I'm I'm sure of that. <laughs> oh, probably. Jono, what did you make of All the Lovers? The first time I heard it was with the video. That iconic video. Like, we stand a legend, ladies. But um, <laughs> this is the thing about it, though. All the Lovers is such a great track, and it's such a great lead single. But because of that, it makes everything else suffer in comparison thereafter. Like, a critic said its placement as the opening track is quite unusual, and I think another suggested that she should have closed the album with it. But, like, mm. she's never been known to put the lead single as... She's always been known to put the lead single as the album opener. You know, confide, dancing, two hearts, slow, spinning around into the blue. Um, the only time she didn't was with Fever. This isn't, like, my favourite Kylie album, and I kind of have to, like, f- go back on what I said in the Light Years era when I put Light Years so low down. I actually put Aphrodite so low down because when there's only, like, five or six out of 13 songs that stand out, it's not something I'm drawn to. Yeah, All the Lovers was a great opener, but everything else is just, like, meh afterwards. Well, you've no referred offense. to the music video, too. Now, that was directed by Joseph Kahn, who I actually haven't yeah. heard of. He had quite a solid reputation before this, but like so many things, Kylie introduces me to these people. Joseph Kahn most recently, as far as I know, did uh, Taylor Swift's Ready For It video clip, which is pretty epic in itself. This was a great video, wasn't it, Aiden? What did you make of All The Lovers, the video? Excellent. And so uh, it was in um, Los Angeles, I think, mm. uh, where they filmed it mm. and like you know how did they shut down the the street <laughs> yeah to, to, i to want to know how they got that many it. people to build a human pyramid i thought it'd be dangerous to do that <laughs> yeah well well <laughs> I, I think some of it cgi <laughs> oh. but i think i think as a as a video it's very uh, so iconic and i love i love that ending shot where she's releasing the dove um, mm. from her hands and it's flying off and the song is finishing. There are Brilliant some moments work. in Kylie's career that become truly iconic. It is a word that is thrown around way too easily, iconic. But yeah. in Kylie's career, yeah. the, the bath in I Should Be So Lucky, uh, the dove <laughs> from All The Lovers is, goes into that vault of iconic Kylie moments, absolutely does. Some people get uncomfortable when we talk about symbolism in, in video clips, but there was, I, I'm interested to know if any of you saw any symbolism around things like that that big inflatable white elephant what was that about do you am i the only one who overthinks these the things? elephant in the room perhaps I mean, joseph khan even came out and said that kylie minogue had refused to cut the um the gay kisses in the video is this where her fan base got the name lovers yes thank you that's exactly yes. where yeah. i was heading i love that affectionate term i mean do you love it when she when she refers to us all as lovers i think, I some, like of, it. I think some fans I want to be it. her lover but we can't yeah. let this pass without talking about the giant human pyramid. Jono? I just think, well, I've seen the video and it really only kind of gets to about like, um, maybe like a couple of metres in the air and everything else is CGI, yeah. Um, <laughs> that would be very dangerous if it actually got to like the size of a size skyscraper. Yeah, I mean, look, just the aerial shots of everything. Honestly, this is the most iconic thing she's done. And I know, I know like, you're right, people do throw that word around, but really, in all honesty, this was like the peak of something that she's ever done like compared to you know put yourself in my place spinning around can't get you i should be so lucky 
those even I know it was actually afterwards, but the controversy from Sexercise, mm-hmm. um, everything was just this was the most iconic thing she's ever done. But just because it solidifies her gay icon status, it, they're just the sheer magnitude of something because she's never done a huge video like this before. Before we go further into this album, I want to talk about the background and development of it because it's actually quite interesting. She started working with Narina Pallet. She was the lady who ended up, uh, well, had written and I think had performed better than today. And Kylie really liked that as a bit of a sound. That was originally where the seed was. It was going to be around that sort of sound, a simpler sound, because X was very um, synthesized and electro. The thought at the beginning of Aphrodite uh, was let's, let's strip it back. At least, a, at least a few notches, and better than today was a lot simpler in its original form. So that's where we're heading. They didn't end up heading that way at all. In fact, I've read that the sessions with Narina Pallet actually stalled. Um, not that she had any problem with the lady at all, but they, they developed better than today. And one other track off the album too, I think it was Aphrodite in the end, but the, the session stalled and she sought advice at that stage. Kylie was quite frustrated, so she, she ends up speaking to Jake Shears, from the Scissor Sisters, good friend, and Jake then suggests, I want to introduce you to Stuart Bryce. And that's where things started to take off from that point forward. One interesting part about the development of this album, Kylie says, and she quite liked saying this in interviews, was that the songs had to pass the Dolly Parton test. Aidan, do you want to refresh? What's the Dolly Parton test exactly? That's where she sings the song in a Dolly Parton style, like a full-on Dolly Parton style. Puts on the accent and everything and does it in her vocal style. Um, She did it uh, with uh, All the Lovers on on, uh, Alan Carr, uh, the show. And she does uh, a line of All the Lovers in... uh, that voice i think it's just i think it's just amazing i I love it the parton test that's right and i think you know even though she says it's sort of in jest and as a bit of a joke and as an interesting interview story let's face it because kylie likes a good interview story and trots it out a dozen times before it's done i think the the point being that she wanted songs that were actually stood up in their own right as songs and country music actually does that and i would argue very strongly that this is the seeds of golden right at this point too and she just idolises Dolly Parton anyway. It, the seeds for Golden were sown here. Stuart Price was adamant that it was not going to be the ex-cattle call of songs. He didn't want there to be 500 songwriters here. He wanted it to be uh, a select few and really solid production. And that's basically what they achieved here. Again, the argument being, did he homogenise the project too much? Hmm, that's what we want to know from people listening and they can leave a comment was it too homogenized too sanitized track two on the album get out of my way what do we think of this song my friends what an iconic song like i just think out of all of her songs i think it's probably one of her like most gay gay anthems like it's yeah. such an anthem a gay it's anthem? such a great really? it really is okay tell me why yeah, what, like, what makes a gay anthem a gay anthem it's dancey and it's like carefree and it's like it's very it's very kylie but like going to like circuit on like a sunday night like it's so dancey and just all, all the gays just scream it. I don't know, just it's just something iconic and anthemic about it. It's just a great song. Jono, is it something about the attitude of this song? Because when people first heard it, they were like, oh, yeah, this has got... Because the lyrics of this song, are they're harsh. I know, I really do like... <laughs> she talks about him being a zombie. But, um, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is the, um, the, the song that I see the most 
talked about on like Tumblr and forums and stuff. But I thought it was very shocking that it only peaked at 69 in Australia. And it's actually her least successful single to date. Like wow. It's the first single in 18 years to not make the top 50 since Finer Feelings, and which is also one of the... it's not song, so it doesn't make sense, No. Yeah. I'm but... just... I'm, yeah, she said that she was very disappointed in this era, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, they didn't release Get Out of My Way until, like, a couple of months later, because this was, like, the first Kylie era that I was taking, like, um, era by era, because I'd only just gotten an iPod in, like... You mentioned that Kylie felt disappointed by the management rather than the album, but because I think she's very, very proud of this album, um, and I think the testament and evidence of that is in the tour. You know, she she performed every single track bar one on the yeah, tour. Yeah, I was going to mention and, that. And, yeah, and, and yeah, she still talks about this album with a great deal of pride. So I think her disappointment was in the management. This is a quote from mm. her at the time. She said, "It's confusing." I felt a little let down with my releases from Aphrodite. This is Kylie being very politically correct as she does. She continues, I was caught out like a lot of artists were with record companies figuring out how to do single releases these days. I remember doing a promo for one of the last singles and it just felt really old fashioned. I'm pretty computer savvy. Something didn't feel right. But no one said anything to me. You get Britney releasing Hold It Against Me and Gaga's Born This Way available on iTunes the day you hear it first. That's how it should be. And there's me waiting for a midweek chart figure like it's 1989. Because, I mean, because I, I also it also resonates with me that she said that she was disappointed in the singles. I think that's what she said. And mm. with like and with X as well, she expresses disappointment to the sun about... I mean, she was pleased with the singles, uh, with the album, but she said she felt disappointment from her label because of poor charting and stuff. I've, I've heard before that, um, well, there's been criticism not from her but from other people saying you know uh you know the aphrodite theme wasn't always so consistent throughout the whole um the album well the album tracks um specifically um get out of my way i think it was i think it was a fairly good choice as the second single obviously wasn't overly successful um but it's a good song overall and i, I think definitely um this era i i like that she spoke um, more honestly uh, and I wish it's something she would do a little more often with Get Out of My Way especially like I mean it's I think it's really sad that it didn't chart better but I mean I think now I hope she'd be happier now because like, I really feel like it's found more of its place in like the LGBT community like I just I know like a lot of my LGBT friends absolutely love the song and they all sing the words to it so I think it's sort of got its own sort of separate mm. um so it's sort of like transcended in a way, I guess. Like it's sort of yeah. like I feel like that chart position isn't necessarily represented representative of how good of a song it is or how, like how much like its legacy. Does that so make sense? So true. So true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This video clip frustrates me because it just doesn't go anywhere. She climbs a half a pyramid, for example, and she ends up nowhere. I don't really know what the point was. It, she needed her video. big fingernailed hands on the chest of some guy throwing him pushing him shoving him she needed this was sort of attitude that comes across in the lyrics for me that's what the imagery yeah. is in my head i wanted the video clip to show some something of that also it's worth noting that this song was um apparently quite vied for amongst popular artists including britney spears i think she was in in contention to have this song put your hands up is track three on the album if you feel love in brackets put your hands up uh, some people th this is a really one of those tracks that really get the fans a bit wild there's there's one one half that love it one half that don't i mean yeah it's a bit cliche sort of a bit like um generic lyrics but it's it's, it's good it's catchy it's dancey i i think it's just there to fill 
<laughs> the album. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't like it. Uh, I always skip it, never listen to it. Aiden, you're a, a fairly new fan in terms of You Came On at the Point of Fever, and you two guys, uh, Jono and Callum, are younger fans, so I'm going to speak up for all the oldie fans out here. When that remix, I don't think <laughs> I don't think too much of Put Your Hands Up as a single. I don't hate it, though. I just don't think very much of it. But that remix that was brought out was actually mixed by a guy who used to mix her early stuff around Rhythm of Love era. So when I was listening to that remix for the first time, my God, what a throwback. Because there's actually bits out of the... Po- I can't remember quite what it's called, but the poly mix of What Do I Have To Do? He's taken little samples from a lot of those Rhythm of Love remixes. It was just like a mind blow when we heard this for the first time. It's like, hang on, I can hear a bit of What Do I Have To Do? I can hear a bit of Step Back In Time. Hang on, that's a little ding-dong from Better The Devil You Know remix. It was like a mind blow. How he did it, I don't know, but it's just brilliant in that sense. I'm going to have to go back now because I never, I never realised that. What I want you to do is start with What Do I Have To Do, the poly mix. It's definitely not quite called that, but it's got poly in it. Uh, listen to that a couple of times, then go and listen to that. Okay. That's really well, cool. Then. I didn't realise that at all. Yeah, the guy's name just occurred to me. It's Pete Hammond. He's the guy that did the remix. So, uh, yeah, definitely go and look it up. The album moves into an interesting territory with track four, Closer. Oh, sorry. I was just saying, I just I love Closer. It's my favourite track on the album. I love it. Like... When I first heard it, I was like, this is really weird. I'm not really sure what I thought about it, but it really, it grew me very quickly. Like, I love the evilness of it. It's like, closer. It's very, like, spooky, and yeah. it's, like, really yeah, witchy theory. dance. Yeah. yeah, it's very sort of witchy, and oh, I love it. It was a game in the late 80s called Faxanadu. Nobody would have heard of it. It was on Nintendo. And I'm telling you, they, <laughs> every time I hear it, I just think of the many hours I spent on Faxanadu, which is the worst game in history. I don't know why I spent so long on it. <laughs> but yes, you're right about that eerie, spooky feeling to Closer. It sounds like an interlude. like it's, And that's kind of like how she performed it um, live when she kind of, she wasn't, it was that kind of, you know, bridge between the two platforms where she, you know, flew over on the angel. It does have a very kind of sinister kind of feel to it. Um, probably uh, the, you know, if the album has to have a dark moment, probably that would be it. It's probably one of my favourite 2010 songs of hers. Track five, Everything is Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a soundtrack song, and I like the Cardboard Kingdom lyric. I think that's very unique of her. Um, I just, it's not really a song that stands out for me. Like I said, I really only five songs stand out for me out of 13, so I'm not drawn to it. I, I was just going to say, I, I really, I like this song a lot, um, but I actually prefer the mix that she used on tour um, with the extended intro and then mm. a longer instrumental um in the middle of the song i i thought that brought it to life a little bit more i'm good it was called the um only example of a ballad on the album because there actually isn't any ballads on the album at all it's interesting Stuart yeah. price uh, is quite fierce that he would contend this is not a ballad i always found that interesting mm. purely for the fact that i'm thinking hmm, made me wonder what my definition of a ballad is because i agree it's the only ballad-esque song uh, but mm. the executive producer does not want it to be called a ballad so we mustn't refer to it as a ballad <laughs> Uh, Aphrodite <laughs> track six. I absolutely love this song. It was brought. I already, oh, yeah. I already loved it, and then when she opened the tour with it, loved it even more. But mm. even going back a step, she did a bit of a mini album launch uh, in on Ibiza uh, and got up on stage in a club and did a few songs, and this was one of them. 
Like when she says, I'm feeling mighty, don't you mess with me. And I'm like, I I like when she says, I am the original. I'm the only one to make you feel this way. Like, Mm. yes. Like solidify that crown, girl. I think it solidifies the return to form for her, definitely, after the little rocky road that was um, the X era. I think this really, (laughs) it, it, it is the album in one song and what she was going for that era com- so much attitude so much reassurance um it, it it's it's a, a song that represents her as the icon that she is yeah it's got a lot of <laughs> attitude in it and remember earlier i was saying that some of the seeds for golden were sown during the aphrodite era which they absolutely were consider this i'm fierce and i'm feeling mighty i'm a golden girl i'm an aphrodite she yeah. she do, she Little has done things. that so many times where she has alluded to future songs or f- future albums. I mean, you look at like a song like uh, "Burning Up" and she says, "Oh, you know, if I'm going to kiss you once, I'm going to kiss you twice," and it's like, "Yeah, <gasps> oh. <laughs> she's, predict- she's predicting the future." <laughs> I love it. And um, is the world still spinning around? I know that's not a prediction. That's sort of a retrospecting. Yeah. But I, I love it when she does that sort of stuff. Illusion is track seven. What it is, is I think she actually should have put illusion after everything is beautiful because when she opens that song with that kind of like that that cooing kind of moaning that she does that is very similar to what she does in everything is beautiful, I just think, yeah. One of the criticisms of Kylie is that she doesn't dance enough on tours these days or pro- <laughs> properly dance, but with illusion uh, during the tour, this is a wonderful moment where, you know, the, the thunder clap and then they do that... Um, sort of mm. sandy desert dance in, in in the middle of the track. That's a wonderful moment of a tour. Yeah. If I was introducing newcomers to Kylie, I wouldn't recommend this album, but I'd definitely say watch the tour. Track eight on the al- album, Better Than Today, is track eight, but single three on the album. Oh, this left a lot of fans cold that she chose to release <laughs> this when there were other opportunities on the album, such as Aphrodite. And not to mention the video clip again. William Baker's got his hands on the on the video recorder, which he shouldn't be allowed to. Uh, better than today. What are we making of the track and the single? I don't know if I like it as a single, but I do like the track. I like that sort of Sister Sisters um, sort of sound. The sort of a lot of the falsetto. I think it's nice. Makes me happy. It's a good song to sort of sing along to and, and squeal to with your friends. I I love this song. It's probably one of my favorites on uh, the album. Uh, The video, though, oh, yeah, God, (laughs) did not do the song justice at all. Completely departed from the Aphrodite um, theme. So enough said about that. The aesthetic. You know, it's, it's, oh, God, you know, (laughs) there's nothing to say about it. Then it's just like kind of like it's a complete farce, the, the video. Well, yeah, well, Narina Pallet's version, she is very stripped back guitar yeah. and just her, her singing. So this is very, very produced in comparison. But I think I think I like the song. It, it, it's a good song to listen to when I'm on my way to work. Um, I'm actually on the outer. I don't like the song. I don't hate the song. But the thing is, though, and I'm going to say this and I'm going to say this and I'm going to say that. Are you going to be a, song a hater? Like I be- yeah, I am. Okay, cool. I am going to be a hater. With a song like um, I Believe in You, for example, where she sounds so very sincere and she doesn't feel contri- it doesn't feel contrived when she sings a song like that, like most artists would do when they're singing a song like that or when most artists try and sing an anthem. Mm. 
um, or a song that becomes an anthem. Look, it kind of feels like she's yelling, what's the point in living if you don't take a chance? Like, it all just seemed, this, this song does seem contrived to me. Like, I've always said Kylie Minogue is the French word for mood stabilizer. Um, <laughs> and I use a lot of her songs to kind of, like, pick me up. Like, I love Fine, I love Still Standing, I love The World Still Turns, Breathe, Enjoy Yourself, those kind of songs that make me feel better about life. Um, and this was meant to be one of those? On podcast. <laughs> yeah, it was, look, it, if it was meant to be, it didn't fall. Okay. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be like suicidal Sally on the goddamn podcast, but like this doesn't do it for me. Like, like I said, it feels like she's yelling. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not a fan of it. And it shouldn't have been a single. The video ruined the aesthetic of the era. I just don't know what the hell that was. The video must have yeah. been really forgettable because I can't remember it. Like, I'm trying to think of which one it was. Pac-Man even... and all that. There were, there were people playing guitars with, like, Pac-Man. Because, um, Callum, in oh. ancient Greece, apparently they were playing Pac-Man. <laughs> oh, okay. Yep, got it. Yep. So, Jono, mm-hmm. you don't have much love for Better Than Today, but I wonder what, what you thought of uh, this combination when Calvin Harris, Jake Shears, and Kylie Minogue get together to create a song. You can't go wrong, surely. Is it, are you talking about Too Much? Too Much. Whenever someone says like something is too much, I'm like, it's too much. <laughs> I'm like, I'm always starting to sing. <laughs> Me too. This is a good song. See, Kylie has infected your day to day. I like that. Yeah, the fact that she didn't sing it on the um, the tour, she sang every single track except this one. Where are where is the gay rights? That's what I want to know. I know. Why? <laughs> this is so wrong. <laughs> Look, I love. I I think Calvin Harris can sit on my face, so he's done no wrong here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Agreed. yeah, yeah. I I generally like the song. I don't really, I don't really kind of know what the song's about though. Someone enlighten me. I think she's just like I'm so into this guy, like emotionally and sexually, that she kind of it's, it's overwhelming. I think that's what it's about. Oh, okay. It's like, like yeah, because I like, gotta have it. It's a shockwave to my brain. It's too much. This kind of love, and it, it sounds like it's almost like it's the first time she's felt that way. She's like, oh, the first time. Like, I think it's that. Um, mm. Yeah, obvious. But like, it's sort of like she's never. It's so new to her. Like that. That sort of extreme intense love my gosh i love this track so much like mm. it's just such a classic kelvin harris pop like of that era like it reminds me of um call my name by cheryl which i also kelvin harris i just both of those oh songs, yeah i love that song incredible me too they just so i don't know i just love them so much uh, it was considered as the lead single um before all the lovers came wow. along all the lovers came along in like something like the last month of the recording sessions for aphrodite or something like that wow and then plans were complete as soon as they got all the lovers plans were completely scrapped for uh, too much but too much was considered as the um lead single at one point which i think uh, when all the lovers came along if they still went with too much it would have been a mistake um because all the lovers is definitely the standout track mm. um, yeah as the lead but yeah i find I it too I much would have worked for a single well, not as a lead single, but I think it would have. So I think too much would have worked, not as a lead single, but I think it would have worked as a single. I mean, because yeah. Calvin Harris, that sort of sound was so big then. So I think that would have yeah. worked. I'm going to start off the conversation about the next song with this. And I'm going to explain why in a second. Cupid Boy, I'm going to let you get it out of your system. What do we make of this track? She definitely this sings with best. her um, biggest octaves. Because that's what one reviewer said, that this album, she's definitely singing with her highest octaves to date. And this is a prime example of that. This is like the first song on the album so far that I haven't loved. Like, I don't hate it, but like, it's <gasps> definitely not my favourite. I think, I don't know, I think initially, like, the production on it sort of, 
piss me off a bit, I guess. I don't know. Like, I don't like it, like in that pre-chorus, which is like, you got the good stuff, good stuff, like that whole sort of sound, like it started, it just annoyed me and it still kind of does, not as much as it used to, but I don't know. It doesn't quite do it for me. I like the live performance of it much more, but it doesn't, it's, I, I like it, but I don't love it. The live performance has her boyfriend at the time as the screen projections in the background. Aiden, what's your oh. thoughts on this? I I also um, prefer the live version the, or the live mix because you know the the uh, the songs were had different mixes um, on the tour and this is uh, one of them that I prefer um, more to the album version. It actually used to be one of my favourites on the album. Now it's not. Listening to Aphrodite uh, in my car for the first time, I had to keep pressing power off and going, what the hell is that noise? Something behind my car. And I was in a, I was in a car park overlooking the ocean and thinking, what is that noise? It turns out that on this track, and some people can hear it and some can't, there is a very definite, I think it's an error in the production because I'm sure it's not meant to be there. It sounds like somebody knocking on wood or the boot of a car, which is what I thought, because I actually had to go out of my car and open the boot to see what's going on. <laughs> so if you listen to this song uh, with a particular speaker system set up, you will hear knocking as if somebody has been kidnapped and put into the trunk of a car. Is it all the way through it or just or just once? No, just like one time? there are only three beats. That's what's so confusing, because if it was all the way through it, then you'd go, ah, something's going on with this song. But because it's just a random knock, 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 like it, it's like somebody's trying to get my attention here it's really weird some can hear it some can't but go looking for it it's um that's bizarre if you have no life i'm gonna i'm gonna go back now and then i'm not gonna be able to unhear it ever again <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad because i can't i cannot listen to this track without that <laughs> looking for an angel was one of the first tracks written for the song it was written by um stuart price and kylie together uh, they had the word, the keyword angel written down for this album, so that's where this was born from. It's a forgettable track. Like, I can't remember how the melody actually goes. Because you know what it is? Whenever I look at the title, I, the only thing I can get into my head is the melody of um, I Must Be Talking to an Angel, which she covered on tour. Like, yes. I, I can't for the life of me ever remember how it goes. So, forgettable track. Sorry, Kyle's can't beat the feeling closes the album out at least the original version of the album can't beat the feeling it's a bit, bit of an anthem to go out on i just i love this song so much it just it's like it's so euphoric like it's sort of like if all the lovers was that sort of like romantic sort of um you know sensual euph euphoric anthem then can't beat the feeling sort of like the um the counterpart that's so so it's just ecstatic just like absolute like joy to me i don't know something about it like it just makes me so happy when it's like to sing it especially that final chorus and the first 10 seconds yeah. you know you know a song is good when the first 10 seconds you go oh i love this song i love the first 10 seconds mm. such a, great a memorable opening. intro yeah yeah yes i agree and aiden the mashup on the aphrodite tour excellent i i think um she needs to do something like that again she uh still did love at first sight and made all the fans happy but mashed it up with this thank god um so, I've either got to burn I that think, song think, or mash that song, could, one of the uh, two. There's no, no in-between. We were a little bit spoilt with the Aphrodite era in terms of bonus tracks and ad additional songs and all of that sort of stuff. Callum, you've got a few favourites. Oh, my goodness. Um, I absolutely love um, Go Hard or Go Home, and I'm sorry. Like, I, It's definitely like a trashy sort of song. Like, it's not objectively it's not a good song, but like I just love it. Okay, <laughs> so are you prepared to, to step into the, the wrestling ring with me here? 
<laughs> Absolutely. Like, okay. sorry. You might be sorry. No. Yeah, sorry, not sorry, I think, actually. Oh, is I'm that right? So... I've got yes, bigger muscles is... than you. <laughs> you probably do. I'm a twig. <laughs> like, no, I, I really I really love it. Like, it's so... And I think also, with, uh, again, it fits in with the music of that time as well. Like, it's, it's a very sort of... Very 2010 sort of dance track. Oh, I love. Anyway, look, the only argument I'll come back to with Go Hard or Go Home is Go Home and speed it up by uh, one and a half or possibly two times the speed. And you tell me if it, that isn't a Justin Bieber reject song sitting right there. English, giant, twerp, scumbag, fuckface, dickhead, asshole. <laughs> I mean, I don't really. I like it. it. Sound like that? Yeah, I'm not the only. Like, I prefer it to Heartstrings and Mighty Rivers as an album closer. All right, so we can put that to bed. <laughs> Full stop. Um, That's it. <laughs> any anyone listening is free to leave a comment underneath. This is the big contentious point of Aphrodite. <laughs> go hard or go home. What other extras did we have though around this era? We had Hire with Tayo Cruz. Well, how can we not mention Hire? Because if you go to YouTube, that is such right, a banger. I think this is possibly her most viewed uh, video on YouTube, if you can call it hers. I think all the versions without her just sort of, I mean, this might be a bit biased, but I think they sort of seem a bit lacking. But this, I don't know, I really like it. I like the sort of the back and forth, almost banter of the song, how they both sort of take turns singing the lines. Yeah. I don't know. It's so groovy. I'm glad that it got radio play in Australia as well because, like, I've got friends now who don't really like Kylie Minogue, but they know this song, and I'm like, yes, Kylie has like permeated the masses. Why are you friends with them if they don't like Kylie? Oh, look, Lord knows. Maybe they're maybe they're hot or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mighty Rivers, I think, could have been a very nice album opener. Mm. Um, with all the lovers a little bit later on, I've I've I. Sometimes, you know, have gone through the albums before and kind of rearranged things and added bonus tracks into the album to make my own little album. And Mighty Rivers is one where I've I've shoved it to being the opening um, track on my own little reworked album. I think it's uh, got a perfect intro to kind of, you know, um, lull you into the album. So I like I like it very much. Silence completely obliterates um, put your hands up if you feel love <laughs> as it's b-side it's just in like a hundred times better um, love 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 slash um, brokenhearted it's kind of got a double uh, name uh, which it was is a leak track um, actually but I think it's very very good um, if you haven't heard it listen to it quick shout out to these following countries where Aphrodite got to number one Scotland Good on you. Number one album in Scotland. In the UK, it got to number one. Dropped pretty quickly, though. In Greece, it was a number one album as well. And in Australia, number two. Uh, In Austria, number three. Belgium, number three. And Germany, number three as well. Globally, it was just fairly consistent. It got up there, and it it lingered um, for a good enough amount of time. We can't talk about Aphrodite, the album, without at least mentioning really briefly the Aphrodite tour. This was phenomenal, wasn't it? I mean, some people say a little bit possibly too much where she got absorbed into the production much more than in other tours, but some people say this is the quintessential Kylie tour as well. What do we make of Aphrodite? 
Le Follet. Well, she was the first person to have a runway that extended out, I believe, wasn't she? Well, I know the water part was definitely a first for um, yeah for for a touring around the world type of production. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she had a segregated kind of um, uh, mosh pit, like gen, um, GA kind of ticket, which was very had never really kind of been done before. I don't think. Look, honestly, this is a tour where a lot of the other pop hoes they really took note. This yes. is how you it's know done. Mean? Yeah, this is how it's done. Because Gaga did it um, for the Born This Way, where she had the um, the runway and the segregated um, mosh pit, and yeah, I really wish I'd seen this tour. I like I would give a leg to be, go back in time and see this tour. I wish I'd gone. Mm-hmm. It is, I, I mean, kind of uh, off topic, but I, I love watching videos of the anti-tour. Um, there's one where she's singing "I'm Over Dreaming Over You," and everyone's just belting out the lyrics, and she looks so happy, and she's like, "Oh, you know, I can't believe all these people in this room know this old." you know, 25-year-old almost-at-the-time album track and they're just belting it out. It's just one of the best things about being a fan. So thank you, my golden friends, for talking about Aphrodite tonight. Fantastic album and very important to note, definitely the Seeds of Golden were here in the Aphrodite era. Thank you, golden friends. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.